And a very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Koch. My guest in tonight's program, and we always have a guest who chooses the music, my guest is Norbert Spitz, who is the director of the Goethe Institute in South Africa and the regional director for Sub-Saharan Africa. So this is quite a big post, and he's about to retire. Welcome, Norbert. Good evening, Richard, and thank you for having me here tonight. It's a great pleasure. You really are about to retire. Uh, I still have until the end of this month. February 28 is my last day of working for the Goethe Institute. And then after almost 34 years in this position, uh, I will retire, yes. Retire from the, from the, the organization of the Goethe Institute. And then you're going to do something else, I'm sure. Definitely, yes, because I still feel... Uh, Energetic, I still feel young, and um, I still feel that I can share my experiences. I'm sure. And one of the things I want you to tell us in tonight's program is exactly what the Goethe Institute is, why it was set up, and where it does it. So let's begin with what the Goethe Institute is. The Goethe Institute is the official cultural center of the Federal Republic of Germany. And like many other European countries, Germany runs a global network of cultural centers. So the German Cultural Institute is called Goethe Institute, after Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. The UK have their British Council. The French have their network of Institut Francais and uh, uh, French Alliance, and so on and so forth. The Goethe Institute was uh, founded in 1951, so shortly after uh, World War II, and only two years after the creation of the Federal Republic of Germany. And the idea behind this was that the Germany wanted to relink to the uh, international community of states after the difficult time of the Second World War. And they thought they tried to do it through cultural policies, because nobody would doubt that Germany before the Nazi time, was a cultured nation. And they were smart enough to um, develop uh, uh, this concept in a way that they created several institutions to do foreign cultural relations. And the biggest one is the Goethe Institute with a global network of around 175 institutes. In 175 countries? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's pretty big. Yeah. And of those... You dealt with Sub-Saharan Africa, which is how many countries? Um, we have uh, 15 Goethe Institutes and five Goethe Centers in 20 Sub-Saharan uh, African countries. So that is a big net network and a huge distance, yeah. Well, it's time for your first choice of music, and it's Mozart, the clarinet concerto in A major. Sabine Meyer is playing with the Dresden State Orchestra under Hans Fonck. That was the first movement of the clarinet concerto by Mozart. Sabine Meyer was the clarinetist with the Dresden State Orchestra conducted by Hans Fonck. And whilst we were uh, playing the music, you were saying that Sabine Meyer has an interesting history too because she was uh, in the uh, Berlin Philharmonic. She was the first female musician in that orchestra under Herbert von Karajan. And at that time, I mean, that was for the musicians a completely male uh, ensemble, yeah. uh, very irritating, <laughs> yeah. 
But if you listen to her, uh, I mean, the orchestra is about top quality. She is top quality. Yeah, and I remember there was a whole drama at that time about the appointment of Yes, her. yes. But, uh, I mean, things have completely changed now. German We, culture has changed. <laughs> yeah, but as well the attitude to gender issues. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and not only in the field of music. So yeah. uh, it's better that way. Yeah, but, but one of the, the big exports, if you like, cultural exports that you have from Germany is music because you have so many fantastic composers through history. And... We are a federal republic, so which means um, each federal member state has their own cultural policy. So there is cultural funding from the, from the national level, from the level of the uh, Bundesländer, and on the level of the municipalities. And probably Germany is the country with the highest number of theaters and uh, opera houses and symphonic orchestras and you name it, so there are many opportunities. So each land or state has its own pride in its own institutions also. Yeah, uh, that, that is the concept of the Federal Republic, so that the, the Bundesländer, the, the member states, have their own cultural identity. So, and this is why until the, the, the government moved from Bonn to Berlin after unification, we had no national ministry of culture And we still don't have a national ministry of culture. We have the position of a national minister sitting in, in the chancellor's office, uh, but not with its own ministry. That's amazing. So the Germans and the, the whole state spends quite a lot on culture. Yeah. And is there a Goethe Institute in Germany itself? There are uh, 14 Goethe Institutes in Germany, but uh, since the mandate of the Goethe Institute abroad is to contribute to foreign cultural relations. That mandate only applies to our activities outside Germany. The institutes in Germany, they focus mainly on the language wing because the mandate of the Goethe Institute worldwide is to strengthen the role of German as a foreign language, to foster an intercultural dialogue and to disseminate information about Germany. But the institutes in Germany focus on the language issue. And I want to take up on the language issue, but after this next piece, which is your second choice, by Frédéric Chopin, the Grand Vals Brillant, and the pianist is Lang Lang. Well, they were certainly enjoying Lang Lang, playing the Grand Vals Brillant by Frédéric Chopin. And I believe, Norbert, you are something of a pianist yourself. I mean, that would be a little bit exaggerated. Um, I play piano, I love uh, piano playing, and I did three semesters at the Nordwestdeutsche Musikakademie Musik Akademie in Detmold in the mid-1970s, only to find out that although I like music, the vocation is not strong enough to make me a professional musician, but I never stopped playing piano. So when did you join the Goethe Institute? I joined the Goethe Institute in 1986, And um, if, you, if you sign the contract with the Goethe Institute, they tell you that you must be willing and ready to serve at any time, anywhere. That is, uh, and, and you have? I have, yeah. Where, where have you served? Tell us some of the places. So it's like a diplomatic posting. Oh, yeah, we are not diplomats, yes. but uh, we rotate like You're diplomats. You're similar. Yeah. So I started uh, my career with Goethe Institute in Frankfurt. 
From there, I moved to Khartoum, Sudan, where I stayed four years. I went back to the headquarters for a couple of years. And then it took me to Montreal, a beautiful place. At that time, uh, the symphonic orchestra was under the baton of uh, Charles Dutour. After having spent four years in that beautiful city, Montreal, I felt it's ready for new challenges. And we wanted to reopen our Goethe Institute in Kabul, Afghanistan. And I went there for two and a half years. At that time, that was 2004 to 2006. At that time, everybody was quite optimistic that the way for Afghanistan would be a way upwards. Today, I mean, uh, 15 years later, we have realized that uh, many of the efforts were uh, in vain. But at that time, I was very uh, uh, enthusiastic to, to go there. And is there still a Goethe Institute there? Uh, when there was the, the uh, attack uh, against the German embassy two years ago, the Goethe Institute, which is close to the embassy, was affected as well. And uh, since then, it is not functioning anymore. It is not officially closed, but the security issue is still an issue. And then you've been here for five years. Five so. years, yeah. yeah. In between, I was uh, in Beirut and in uh, Bangkok, Thailand. Johannesburg is my, not my final destination, but <laughs> my final position within the network of the Goethe Institute. Gosh, so you've seen a very wide range of, of other cultures in, in your time. And I'm just interested in, in the language because, uh, for example, are there many German speakers in Khartoum? Not that you're catering to German speakers, you're trying to promote German culture within a different community. But Khartoum, Afghanistan, uh, Beirut, I can imagine there are German speakers. Um, but Bangkok, Afghanistan, Khartoum, not a lot. It is uh, a very, very different. So, um, Afghanistan had a long-standing relationship with Germany since uh, the Second World War. So there was, there was always an interest in German as foreign language. And today, I mean, at that time when I was there, um, the German department at the University of Kabul had many students. And you can imagine what was the uh, main motivation to learn German. They hoped that they would find a job with one of the many NGOs that were working at that time in Afghanistan, or even better, maybe to find a way to, to get to Germany. Yeah. But I suppose also it's about linking your own culture to the culture of the country where you are, because I've seen much of the work that the Goethe Institute does here in South Africa, and it's very much about linkages, I think. Our mandate is not to export German culture under, under any price, but to uh, uh, start a cultural dialogue. So in those countries where we operate, we first come and we listen and we meet. We talk to our partners within the, in, within the country. And on the basis of these conversations, we, with our partners, develop ideas on what we could, de what we could do. Yeah. And uh, it must be a really interesting job because you don't have to perhaps tread as carefully as diplomats do. Uh, and you can make a real difference to local culture also by, by linkages. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, for example, German cinema, uh, which was not of global relevance until, until uh, let's say, the mid-70s, when Fassbender and Schlöndorf and all these great names appeared, and they, they 
became as well great internationally because their movies that they made were distributed through the network of the Goethe Institutes and not so much in the beginning through the festival channels. Or, or commercial channels, yeah. yeah. And um, all those movies and the literature that was produced, let's say, after the student movement in the 70s and 80s, had a critical look at the state of the German society. And that is what we, as well, discussed with our partners around the globe. And showing a realistic and critical image of your own society abroad makes you a credible partner. So our mandate is not to hail and praise Germany and its uh, cultural productions, but to, to, to say, see here, look here, this is the state of our society and this is how our artists reflect on it. Well, here's your next choice. This is by Karl Maria von Weber, The Invitation to the Dance. It's performed by the National Symphony Orchestra. That was music by Karl Maria von Weber, Invitation to the Dance, played by the National Symphony Orchestra and conducted by a well-known local conductor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, for this choice. Yes, that was uh, made some years ago when we were uh, making popular music CDs. I'm speaking to Norbert Spitz, who is the current director of the Goethe Institute in South Africa and regional director of Sub-Saharan Africa, and you said earlier 20 countries, all of which I presume you visited over the last few years. On several occasions. I mean, um, it is a big network. The distances are far. So if I fly to Dakar, it is a direct non-stop flight of eight and a half hours. It's only a little bit shorter than Frankfurt. So, but uh, it is, I mean, part of my job. And it is important for me um, that I meet my colleagues there, that I see the conditions, th that I meet their partners, and uh, understand better the cultural discourse within those countries. You know, we live in times where there is a very uh, pronounced dialogue, uh, discourse on uh, colonial past, decolonization, and uh, uh, since the, uh, uh, the Felvin Saar and uh, Benedict Savoie handed over their report on collections in museums in France to the French president, the same discourse started in Germany. How did all these uh, ethnological artifacts end up in museums in uh, Europe? Do they belong there? What do we do with them? So that is now a discourse that influences our work very much. And some uh, remains and artifacts have been returned now to, uh, I don't know about to other parts of the world, but certainly to South Africa. I mean, um, very few have returned, have been returned. And now, now I talk only about Germany, there is a lot of research uh, being done uh, concerning provenience. How did these artifacts end up there? Were they purchased in a correct way? Were they looted? Uh, were they taken? And uh, that has to be uh, uh, re yeah. researched. And then, of course, it is clear that whatever came into these museums in Berlin or Hamburg or anywhere uh, in an improper way has to be returned. Yes, no doubt about that. And that's an ongoing thing. Yes, now. yes. Mm. I can see a job for you in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind be being f uh, further involved in this because, because that is a discourse that interests me as well uh, as a sociologist. I mean, my background is yes. sociology, so um, that is of interest. So sociology and culture, and, and you've been in several 
what we like to term third world countries. So you understand the conditions there and you understand the feelings of the people there. And the feelings can be very strong about these matters. Absolutely. I mean, um, we are fully aware that we are in, a, if you want so, power relationship. The Goethe Institute is the culture institute of a rich nation. And we enter in a dialogue, let's say, uh, with uh, the cultural scene in Mozambique or in uh, Tanzania uh, that does not dispose of the same resources. So it is an in unequal dialogue. And we have to respect this and see how can we respond to the needs of the cultural scenes in these countries. So let's pay tribute now to music. This is Andy Musik by Franz Schubert, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf. A rather old recording there must be of Elizabeth Schwarzkopf singing Andy Musik by Franz Schubert. Now it's also interesting to see uh, how many of the composers that you've chosen, although they were German speaking and therefore part of German, the larger German culture, actually lived in Austria. Also interesting. That th this fact has not uh, affected my choice. My, my, my selection criteria were um, which music talks to me and what relation uh, do I have uh, to these pieces. So I told you that uh, uh, for a couple of semesters I studied music myself, piano my first instrument, cello my second. So uh, that was as well uh, one criteria for the choice of the music of tonight. Yes. And and you obviously still enjoy music. You enjoy listening to music and going to concerts and so on. This is what I do. Um, I mean, we meet uh, on several occasions uh, here in Johannesburg. I play myself. Unfortunately, here in, in Johannesburg, I did not have the time to look for other amateur musicians. But in all, most of the other countries where I lived, I always found other amateur musicians that were I mean, on a rather good level. And we did ensemble playing, yeah? chamber music. And uh, that was f quite, I mean, a good balance for myself uh, to my uh, workload. And where are you retiring to? Now I moved to Berlin. Uh, and there I, you will find some good musicians, I, one I, or two. I think in, in any German city you would find other amateur musicians because it is, it is it, for, for my generation, it was part of the normal middle class education. The kid goes to school, the kid must be a member in a sports club, the kid must learn an instrument. That was uh, the case for m in many families. Well, and it probably still is. It still is, yeah, yeah I think so. Mm -hmm. Well, because recently we had uh, the Saxony Youth Orchestra here, and there were, uh, you know, 70 or 80 very accomplished young German students. Again, uh, an example of what federalism can achieve. You have the youth orchestras in each of the um, provinces. And that was also supported by the Goethe Institute in Germany, actually. So, uh, so they do good work there, too. Yes, we, we, ha we have a, um, uh, a department uh, that deals with the exchange of amateur musicians and young, not yet uh, accomplished musicians. So there is a special fund that we have there and uh, very often uh, uh, youth orchestras uh, travel with the support from that budget. And another interesting thing is that how much the German state and the different provinces and the cities support arts and, the, and music 
because here the support for arts and music is actually dwindling rather than growing. So it's a real privilege for you to have that system where the arts get such incredible support. But we have to be fair if we compare the situation here yes. uh, and in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, here there are many, we can call them basic challenges. Needs, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the government has to address all of these. And then I, I don't want to say culture is a luxury, but um, uh, if, let's say, if you have so many young people who still have not uh, enough access to good education and to the labor market, that is what has to come first. I understand that. Your, one of your instruments was cello, and here comes Beethoven. That was Bion Tsang, the cellist, playing the third movement of the cello sonata number three by Beethoven, and he was accompanied by a South African pianist, Anton Nell. It's the choice of Norbert Spitz, who is the director of the Goethe Institute in South Africa and the regional director for Sub-Saharan Africa. You said you gave up the cello at some stage. Yes, I didn't achieve that level. <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, you're you're a you can play the piano to quite a good level because if you join other instrumentalists and so on, you need to be able to hold your own. I mean, I always play. I mean, here mostly on my own, and for me, it is uh, relaxing my mind. So other people go to the gym th uh, three times a week. I sit at my piano and relax my mind. Fantastic. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch, and my guest tonight is Norbert Spitz, who's about to retire as director of the Goethe Institute in South Africa. It's coming up to seven o'clock. Listen to this, and we'll be back after it. Welcome back to People of Note on Classic 1027. As I said just before the break, my guest tonight is Norbert Spitz, director of the Goethe Institute in South Africa, who's about to retire back to Berlin in Germany. Has your successor already been appointed? My successor has been appointed. He has been here for five days, two weeks ago, and we did the handing over. And uh, he comes from Sarajevo, and he's quite excited. It is his first posting in Africa. And, um, and he takes over the same portfolio? The same portfolio, yes. We briefed him very well, and we recommended him uh, to him that he, before he starts his own planning, he meets all of our partners, so to understand the dialogue, the discourse here, and then develop ideas together with our partners. So has he already traveled through these other countries? No, but no. I'm just about to, to plan his first tour to West Africa, um, five countries in two weeks, and... Uh, He, I think he is excited. I, I sent him the prelimi preliminary draft of the itinerary, and yes. And by the standards of the Goethe Institute worldwide, is this quite a big portfolio? It is a big por portfolio. It, um, the 20 countries, uh, 20 institutes is a big number, and I, I don't know the number of the institutes in, in the other regions. But it's pro pro big. Probably there are more in, in, in uh, Europe, but shorter distances. Yes. So traveling is easier, yeah. And when you said earlier 175 countries, are there countries where you don't have representation? Yeah, I mean, there we have 175 institutes yes. in, I think, something like 90-something countries. Uh, oh, I not, see. Not, not in so many okay, countries. Okay, not in so many countries. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gosh. So your next choice is Johann Sebastian Bach. I mean, I don't know how you feel about Bach, but for me... 
he is the greatest. Do you, do you have a greatest? I mean, uh, I, I uh, play Bach, but it is the hardest, yeah? So it, is, it, it needs such a lot of discipline if you, if you want to play Bach properly, and uh, that is something I will do more after I retire because I have more time. Well, you'll have more time to practice. Uh, yeah, exactly. How wonderful is that? I mean, I look forward to this because I always missed it. I play, very often I do sight reading, and uh, and I regret that I don't have enough time to work on new pieces that I like, that I have not yet played, but that you have to work on. Well, I think that sounds like something fantastic that you can do. This is uh, Bach's Cello Suite Number 1, the prelude, and the cellist is Yo-Yo Ma. That was the prelude from the Cello Suite Number 1 by Johann Sebastian Bach, played by Yo-Yo Ma. The choice of Dr. Norbert Spitz, who's my guest in People of Note. When you were spending time in, let's say, in Bangkok, were there many people there learning Western music? Yes. Um, in Bangkok, there is probably the most important um, college of music in all of Southeast Asia, and the Mahidon University. It is a young uh, college. It must be probably probably 15 years old now and very when I was there, a very ambitious and visionary dean who really built up that college out of nothing and I think it has to do with the economic development of Southeast Asia so that there is now a, a bigger middle class then they look at other countries like Korea or China and then you have ambitious parents who, who think my son is the next uh, Lang Lang yeah or my, my son is the next uh, Yo Yo Ma so there are role models, and all of a sudden there is an interest uh, uh, in Western classical music. Which I find amazing, because the Eastern countries, China, Japan, Korea, Bangkok, uh, Thailand, Hong Kong, Singapore, they really have taken to Western music in a big way. Yes, but what I, what I appreciated very much with the College of Music in Bangkok is that the college has two wings. One wing for Western classical music, one wing for Asian music. And they are treated equally. And so you were able to attend concerts of uh, Thai music or whichever music you wanted to go to? I mean, uh, since my affinity is more to Western classical music, I attended almost all concerts of the Thailand Philharmonic Orchestra that uh, has the, uh, uh, um, the chief conductor from Tübingen in Germany. Okay. And um, we cooperated with the orchestra by by helping them bringing in soloists from uh, Germany for the concerts. And every now and then I attended as well the concerts of uh, Thai, instru Thai instruments, Thai ensembles. So this is a very interesting subject then. Does Germany export a lot of musicians to other parts of the world? The answer is, the, the, uh, uh, in that part of the world, many musicians come from the Baltic states. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, many public uh, state orchestras were dissolved. Highly qualified musicians looked for opportunities elsewhere. And so in, uh, uh, in that orchestra, the Thailand Philharmonic Orchestra, um, the, the concert master was from the Baltic States, the first cellist, the, the first uh, viola. So this is, uh, was very important for the de development of the orchestra, having qualified first voices. Well, we're coming up to someone now who was another export from Germany, George Frederick Handel, who went from Hanover to London. 
and uh, made a very successful career there. This is part of the Water Music Suite by Handel, the Hornpipe. That was the famous Hornpipe from the Water Music Suite Number 2 by George Frederick Handel, or Georg Friedrich Handel, to give him his German name. <laughs> and that was played by the Linder Consort under Hans Martin Linder, the choice of Norbert Spitz, who's my guest in People of Note. Did you ever regret not taking your music further? No. No. Um, because at that time... Um, I studied sociology in Bielefeld. I started with sociology. And then after three semesters, four semesters, I found it rather dry. And I needed something more sensual. And I uh, entered the competition for the music academy and I, I, I was in. And I did it at a parallel. But when I, when I was in my third semester in music, I was irritated that the College of Music was completely unpolitical whereas the universities in the mid-1970s were highly politicized. Was this in the time of, of the re uh, Daniel Cohn-Bendit and all uh, that? Yes, yeah. but a little, a little bit later. Yes. And, um, but we, we had the Cold War, so uh, the Soviet Union would uh, put missiles on the eastern part of the Iron Curtain, and the NATO would do the same on the western part of the same Iron Curtain, and the nuclear power stations that were built, and we would protest uh, against all this. And at the music uh, college, they were just talking about music. And too busy practicing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you do music, you really have to focus on, on the music. I, I left when I realized that when with my college mates, we talk about how, how long do you practice, how long you I practice, seven, eight hours. Yes, I said me as well. But I, I only realized later they meant per day, I meant per week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then I, then, then I knew that I was in the wrong place with the yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you've, you've still kept your interest in music, yeah. uh, which is fantastic because uh, it gives you a, a deeper insight into the, the local cultures too. Absolutely. And I mean, I kept practicing. I, I played piano when I was posted in Beirut. Uh, I played the organ in the small German-speaking Protestant congregation. And then when I was transferred to Thailand, um, the, the the priest from Beirut told the German priest in Bangkok, oh, the new director of Goethe plays organ. And he said in Thailand, great, because our uh, organist just has left us. So I did it over there as well. So, And uh, do you come from a musical family? No, my father was a teacher and my mother, as it was rather common at that time, was a housewife. My father saying, my, my wife doesn't need to work without considering maybe she would, she would have liked to. Yeah. yeah. But your next choice is organ, uh, and it's the famous Toccata and Fugue in D minor by famous Johann Sebastian Bach, and it's played by a South African, uh, Bodevein Skolten, and recorded in Stellenbosch. You see, that is a beautiful instrument. They call it the queen of instruments, and uh, when you are close to retirement, you think, what do you do after you finish your work? And one thing I will definitely do is I will take organ classes. Because I, I never really learned how to play organ with, with the feet. And this is what I want to learn uh, as of April. Because, and you were talking earlier about a power relationship. Yeah. I can tell you, playing the organ gives you a feeling of power. Absolutely. Especially if you play tutti. <laughs> 
And I'm sure in, in Berlin, wherever you're going to have your lessons, there must be some fantastic organs there too. I, I checked uh, in the internet and I found a monastery near Kassel that offers compact four weeks courses. So, and, and in Germany you can make what, you, what we call Orgelschein, so to become a proper uh, a formal organist on different levels. And I will see how, how far I get. Yeah, because I think um, organists there are almost like civil servants, aren't they? they get, some of them get employed by the, by the government. I mean, by the, I'm mainly by the churches. Yes. And uh, the churches are uh, financed through the taxes that the government collects for the churches, yeah. But, so, but, but, but with so many churches closing down now... Um, also in Germany. Yes, yes. Yeah. So there might be less need for organists. But there are still some beautiful organs there. I remember spending a holiday in north of Hamburg in, I think it was called Das Alter Land, yeah. where mm -hmm. there are some fantastic organs dating from Bach's time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, uh, uh, if I have that degree, that I can find a church where they would allow me to play, even outside the church services, yeah. I think that sounds mm. a wonderful way to spend your retirement. And you also told me off-air that you were going to take a little time getting home. Yes. That is a, an important moment in one's life if the official career comes to an end. And my, my, my past five years here were very busy. My life was speeding up, I mean, with digital communication, 150 emails every day, and it never stops. So I said, before I start my retirement, I need a phase of transition. And I decided to return to Germany, not by plane, but on a cargo ship in 28 days from Durban to Hamburg. No internet, no mobile phone reception, and they, they write you, the crew is not there to entertain you. <laughs> And, and it stops at every port along the way, or what? Yeah, they, they, they probably stop in uh, PE, Wallfish Bay, in uh, Lumi, and Rotterdam. So, and have you been to Wallfish Bay before? As a tourist, I, yes. I did two weeks in Namibia. Okay. And uh, it is. But, but it's wonderfully relaxing on a boat, as long as you get good food. I, I have already put 12 books aside. Fantastic. So, to keep myself busy. That's wonderful. And your next choice is by Reinhold Glier, the waltz from the Bronze Horseman. Music by the Russian composer Reinhold Glier, the waltz from the Bronze Horseman Suite, the choice of Dr. Norbert Spitz, who's my guest in People of Note. And as you heard, he's about to retire and go back to Germany. But I'm sure you'll be traveling also. Is, is travel of interest to you? I mean, if you look at my career, I lived in many different countries and um, I did not travel very much in the Eastern European countries because, because during my professional life, I was most of the time outside Europe. So I want to discover the Baltic states. I want to discover Poland, Hungary. I mean, places where in my, in my youth it was difficult to, uh, to, to go. And now I have the time to do this, explore the Eastern part of Europe. And not only the time, but the interest also, which is fantastic. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've d done lots of traveling around Africa, so you've seen most of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa. You see, when you travel a lot, as well in different continents, you see different societies, different conditions, you become very modest. And uh, uh, when you go back to Germany and you, s you see that uh, uh, level of consumption, you say, 
is that really necessary? Uh, shouldn't we change our focus l a little bit more and shouldn't we share more in order to contribute to a, to a better world? So this is what you learn when you travel. If you only stay, let's say, in Western Europe, you think that is how the world is. But the reality is quite different. So maybe there's another opening for you there if you because you go back with a wealth of experience which you can then feed into whatever other things you get involved in in Europe also. We had we had uh, the migration crisis in 2015. Migration is a global issue not only from Africa to to Europe if you look at South America and the US they want to build a wall etc. So we have to deal with migration and that is something I think, with my background and my experiences, I could contribute as well to uh, uh, getting involved within my community, within my municipality, uh, helping migrants to integrate within the German society. That is something I can imagine doing. I think you're going to have quite a busy retirement. I hope so. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful thing to look forward to. And you've obviously had a very satisfying working life as well. I didn't regret a single posting. When I decided myself to go to Afghanistan, all my friends told me, no, but are you crazy? You sit in Montreal. So you stay there until they, the headquarters, offer you something better. And I said to myself, Afghanistan, Kabul now is better. Because the whole world tries to rebuild uh, Afghanistan. That is a unique moment in history. And I want to be a part of this. And I never regretted it. And while you were there, it was building, building, building. Yeah. I mean, I, in my first year, I had a, a budget of 1 million euros at the Goethe Institute in Kabul. We needed it to rebuild the theater of the university, to re-equip the faculty of music, the fine arts faculty, etc., etc. Rebuild, re-equip, and then train the, the, the people there. A big job. Here's another big job. Piano Concerto by Tchaikovsky. This is the third movement. That was the third movement of the Piano Concerto Number no. 2 by Tchaikovsky, the choice of Norbert Spitz, my guest in People of Note. What about German literature? Because the Goethe Institute, I'm quite interested to know why it's called the Goethe Institute after Goethe, because one thinks of him mainly as a literary person, but I think he was a ma man of wide-ranging interests. Why did they call it Goethe? You have to imagine that uh, in the early, uh, early 1950s, they looked for a name that would appeal, let's say, to the large majority of educated people around the world. So it is, we, are, we are called Goethe-Institut not because our mandate is to promote the, uh, the, Literature. Uh, the historic yeah. figure of Johann Wolfgang Goethe, but that was a name that the government at that time assumed everybody would uh, understand that it is a cultural figure. A and would not be offended by also. Yes. yes. Everybody except in India, because um, there is another German person that is much more uh, known to all Indians. This is the Indiologist Max Müller. So that is the only country on earth where the Goethe Institute is not called Goethe Institute, but Max Müller Bahwan, so the Max Müller House. And the same logo, the, the same corporate design, but the name is Max Müller. And everybody, I mean, every educated person in India knows Max Müller. Yeah. It's very funny that uh, 
uh, only in India they decided to have a different name. Uh. Yeah, but I think also Goethe was uh, a man of the Enlightenment. Yeah. So his interests were wide-ranging, uh, not only uh, literature, but he was also interested he, in mining was, and agriculture. Yes, and he was a scientist as well. And he yes. was a scientist, yeah, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. which people generally don't yeah. know so much. Yeah, Be Because, I mean, his works, the printed works, are published and circulated around the globe, mainly the literary works. Yeah, but I mean, he was a man of, of very wide interest, so I think it's a, it's a fantastic choice. Uh, who... Uh, it must have been someone with real vision who said, we are going to have a Goethe Institute. Do, or was it a collective thing? It was probably a collective thing, and the, the, the driving force was, how can we convince the rest of the world that we have learned our lessons from history and that we are not going to repeat the things that we uh, did uh, before? So this is why the Goethe Institute was established as a private association that signed an agreement with the government, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So the Ministry of Foreign Affairs handed over a part of their uh, foreign cultural policy to the Goethe Institute, but as well to the DAAD, the German Academic Exchange Service, and to the Institute of Foreign Relations, IFA. So they, they created several institutions. They created them as private associations with a public mandate, which means we don't need to hail and praise the government policy, but to, to reflect a realistic and maybe critical image of contemporary Germany. But also cutting edge, because I think some of the projects that you've had here at the Goethe Institute have been quite challenging, intellectually challenging, which is fantastic to see. Take your Mozart festival that, that just came to an end. We have a, a, a corporation uh, in a small segment, new music, composition, because we think it is interesting to see what kind of creativity we can foster here in South Africa. And I think that we do have a lot of very talented and imaginative people in South Africa who are prepared to give things a go, if, if that's not too basic a way of saying it, but people who are prepared to, to go for things. You see, what I learned in those past 34 years is that whatever the social conditions are, creativity will always be there and find, and find their, uh, its way. So uh, a good example is Afghanistan, where the Taliban forbid everything. Yeah? But people didn't stop producing it. They couldn't perform it, but uh, they, they produced it. And here we have to nurture talent in all fields. Yeah? And uh, composition is, is a good example. And uh, you, you yourself not only heard, you, you, you conducted them. Uh, uh, and that is very promising, what we, what we see there. Yeah, and I think, you know, many of these young composers just need opportunities to, to let that creative spirit yeah. free. And this is, this is where, where uh, the Mozart Festival and we can create a synergetic effect, yeah, by having this platform. There are not many for, for new music in South very Africa. Very few, actually, very few. So it's, a, it's been a great cooperation. And here's someone who is looking further afield. This is Bach and an Italian concerto, because he was inspired very much by uh, Italian music, which was very prominent at that time. But it's been taken a step further by Jacques Lussier, who's a Frenchman who, uh, and a jazz musician who takes the music of Bach and interprets it in his way. Bach interpreted by Jacques Lussier, that was part of the Italian concerto. 
the choice of Norbert Spitz, my guest in People of Note. And I think maybe that's what the sort of thing that the Goethe Institute has been doing is to bring together, in a way, three different cultures, German, Italian, and French in that case, but three different types of music also. And I guess that's, that's your, your job is to put these people together in a pot to, to share experiences and ideas. Sharing is <coughs> the, the right word. And um, we have to learn how to get more, become more curious as Europeans in what is here in, on this continent in terms of creativity, but as well in terms of knowledge and uh, capabilities. So uh, I, I said earlier, we are in a period of uh, discourse on decolonization. That means as well, um, we as Europeans have to uh, listen uh, much more carefully what we can learn from African experiences. But Germans on the whole <coughs> are quite good travelers. I, we have a lot of German tourists. Is that true coming to South Africa? Yeah, I think, I think it is one of the, the biggest uh, uh, number uh, of tourists from all tourists that come to South Africa. They come from Germany. But you know where they go. They, they go to, to on the garden route, the Western Cape. To the seaside. Cape, to the seaside and, and more, more Cape Town than, than Durban. Yes. And maybe they, they go to the Kruger, yes, of course. But they also then must experience something of Africa, or South Africa anyway. Yeah, but maybe the, the cliché version. Yes. So the big five in the Kruger and the beautiful, uh, the, the dishes wines in, 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 the, in the Western Capes. So and, they feel at home. And, yeah, and, but I always find it a pity that they touch down at Oatambo and take the next connecting flight to elsewhere and so that uh, they, they miss what Joburg, what Gauteng has to offer. And uh, uh, I, when I get friends from Germany, I take them on a walking tour to the CBD to show them the architectural heritage of that great city. And uh, I, I have, I have uh, team members who since 1994 never went to the CBD. Yeah? This is a pity. Yeah. Well, I can see another job for you in your retirement too, bringing tours to South Africa. <laughs> um, to, uh, to Johannesburg. Yes, to Johannesburg, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Well, this is a sound you're going to hear when you go back. This is the 12 cellists of the Berlin Philharmonic. The fantastic sound of the 12 cellists of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra playing yesterday by Lennon and McCartney. And by the time you get back to Berlin, you will be thinking about yesterday, which was your time in South Africa, uh, which has obviously been very special to you. I think all of my postings have been special. And I never compare the one to the other because that would be unfair to all the others. I look that this was my home for five and, uh, five and a half years and I try to make the best out of it. And you see, when you leave, I say, I'm not sad that I leave. I am grateful that I had those years and these experiences. And that is what, what I take with me. Well, it's a fantastic, positive attitude. And we're going to play out now with uh, some more music by Lennon and McCartney, who are great musicians also. And this is Hey Jude. Again, it's played by the 12 cellists of the Berlin Philharmonic, where you will be sitting shortly. I hope so. Just a great sound. 12 cellists from the Berlin Philharmonic. Oh, that we had 12 cellists in every orchestra in South Africa. And that was Hey Jude, the famous tune by Lennon and McCartney. The final choice of Dr. Norbert Spitz, who is the director of the Goethe Institute in South Africa. He'll shortly be leaving to take 
a longish trip home by sea. So I want to thank you for the time that you've spent in South Africa and also for coming to talk to us. Thank you very much. And I'm very happy that we met quite a while ago and that this is one of our last encounters before I return. Thank you for that conversation. And thank you all at home for listening. I'll be back tomorrow night with Full Works at 8 p.m. And I hope to have a company of many of you there. But also thank you all for listening tonight. And thanks to Pitt for helping us put the whole program together. Until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.